Hey folks, welcome to episode 171 of the FLW Podcast in Benton, Kentucky. I'm Jody White. I am joined, as always, by the one, the only, Kyle Wood. What's up? Also of note, you're in Hopkins, Minnesota. I forgot that. I am. And I I probably sound a little better than I did last podcast. I feel a little better. You might hear me coughing a little bit from time to time. Might hack up a big loogie. I apologize. It's just... That's how the world works, man. I'm sick. I'm getting over yeah, it. This has been this has been a heck of a cold for you, dude. I I like I haven't been sick in the last few years, um, like this time of year. I got uh, when I went to the California Delta a couple of years ago, had like the worst stomach flu on the planet, and that was the worst tournament I've ever covered. But you know, normally like this time that was of me year, at the Potomac a couple of years ago. Yeah, this time of year, like everyone is getting sick or, you know, like in schools, it's going around, blah, 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 blah. And I've dodged it. I've been, I've been, I've, I've done well. And now it, it came back to haunt me and I'm paying the price, but we're feeling better and we're podcasting. So all is right. And you're going to go like hunting and fishing and all sorts of fun stuff this weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Going duck hunting. It's going to be uh going to be a good time. All righty. Um, well, anyway, we got a uh, another light show. Um, we've got Sheldon Collings coming up. He's going to be a rookie on tour this year uh, for our uh, actual, actual interview segment. And then uh, you and I are probably going to talk a little fishing. We're going to take a dive into jerk baits um, with the disclaimer that there are lots of people who know a lot more about jerk baits than you and I, but we're going to talk about them anyway because we're looking for like things to, you know, burn time with to fill time with and that's what we mm-hmm. settled on because there's no news yeah uh, it's pretty slow. there's there's boat related news i guess but that's literally all speculation and you know i don't know you can speculate as well as we can i'd i would expect <laughs> uh, so we'll do that and then uh w- next week we've got a uh, show i'm gonna be out so it'll be uh kurt and kyle and we don't have an interview scheduled yet, uh, but I'm sure it'll be somebody good. Right, Kyle? Uh, probably. I'd imagine uh, with Kurt and I talking, it might turn into a fairly heavy hunting podcast, which I know you're saying to yourself, guys, this is FLW. You guys do fishing stuff. Well, Kurt and I like hunting, and it's hunting time of year. So don't be surprised if our guest is some sort of a hunter, whether it's an Andy Morgan, maybe it's a Zach Burge, maybe it's a... a JT, maybe we call Shad Skank. I don't know, man. Like the options oh, are, are endless. Greg Bohannon. I, I would, I would like a Shad episode. I mean, kind yeah, of a blast from the past. Yeah, like we we don't know. Maybe I mean. Uh, F- by the way, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say maybe even Wesley Strader. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Uh, by the way, as a total side note. Um, so FLW is sponsored by Realtree now. Uh, this is going to be the, uh, it's going to be the, it's, it's actually not, but it'll be the brought to you by Realtree. Yeah. Hunting special. yeah it's the, it's the Realtree edition. <laughs> the camo, the camo <laughs> special <laughs> episode. Um, but yeah, so next week, uh, you're going to get your hunting on up. Uh, I expect a little fishing will work its way into the show. Probably it'll be like a bunch of momentous news for you to cover. 
Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> it's like, hey, we actually something actually happened. Uh, <laughs> and then I guess the week after that, maybe there'll be an episode. I I don't really know for sure. But for now, here's Sheldon Collings and uh, Kyle and I will be back shortly. And now we're joined by Sheldon Collings, who has a whole bunch of accolades, but is going to be fishing the FLW Tour next year, and is also the youngest person to, well, will be the youngest person to fish the Cup next year, or to ever fish the Cup next year, unless somebody younger qualifies in the meantime. So, man, uh, I guess first of all, you've had like a pile of accomplishments and we'll kind of get to them all, but congratulations. It's been a great year and a half for you, really. Yes, it's been it's been one heck of a of a season this year and last year, and I appreciate that. I've worked hard for everything that I got so far. Um, I guess I want to sort of start off with uh, the BFLs, because you've fished a bunch of them. Last year, you won a regional, qualified for the All-American. This year, you went and you fished the All-American, and, yeah, you know, what was, I guess, what was the All-American like? Because you've obviously, you fished a lot of pretty big tournaments, but as far as championship-type tournaments go, that's about the biggest there is before you get to the Coast FLW Series Championship and the Cup and that yeah. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the All-American, man, that was, I personally do not think I'll ever fish a tournament <clears throat> that will amount to how how that made me feel i guess you could say um that week we were every single fisherman and the family members were treated like royalty um i mean i didn't have the best tournament i I actually had a terrible tournament but just to be able to make it there at the age of 19 well i qualified when i was 18 um that was unreal i don't i mean i don't know if i'll ever make it back to the bfl american but I, I really hope I do because that was that was a tournament that I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, although I didn't have the outcome I wanted, I met a ton of new people from all over the world. I actually fished with a guy from Las Vegas, and, I mean, just that tournament was awesome. Just the way it was ran, FLW did a great job. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's about it on the All-American. Uh, I just really hope I get to fish it again one day. I, I, I got to ask, even though, you know, we're going to get to tournaments where you caught fish, uh, but oh, yeah. how did, in that one, you know, it was a kind of an odd tournament. Like there was a lot of ledge fishing that happened, but some guys caught them a little bit shallower too. Had you yeah. really had any experience in any of that type of fishing before? And what did you end up doing in the tournament? Uh, well, in practice, the first, uh, well, I went down a couple months prior and I fished a BFL down there, the Mississippi division. And I didn't do half bad. I mean, I didn't, I think I was one place out of a check, but I ended up catching a lot of big smallmouth in that tournament, uh, down by the dam, throwing a shaky head and a Ned rig on bluff walls and chunk rock banks. And, uh, I just think I went down there and pre for pre-practice a little too soon. Um, because you could still go into the pockets and catch, 19 or 20 pounds on whatever you wanted to throw. I caught fish on a frog, whopper flopper, jerk bait, square bill, fluke, you name it. We were catching fish on it. And once the All-American rolled around, we ran down to those places and 
they just weren't there. So first instinct, they all moved to the ledges. And so I started uh, keying on them, not really main lake ledges. It's like the first ledges that you'd come to on a main lake point or a river channel swing. Um, but to answer your question, I had no experience ledge fishing whatsoever. Um, I was kind of lost. I could, I could see fish there, and but I didn't know if they were bass or not. Um, but after watching the, the all American on TV, uh, Marshall Deacons, which the guy who won it, he, uh, I actually graphed over, uh, two of the three spots or two of the spots that he actually fished on the final day. And I mean, that's fishing. He just, he knows it better than I do. And my hat's off to him for winning that tournament. Um, like I said, I had no experience ledge fishing going into that event. Um, but it's definitely something that I'm working on for sure. Yeah. Uh, to, I mean, to, to be able to compete at the tour level, you've got to be able to be able to fish in 40 foot of water or six inches of water. So it's definitely something I've got to work on, but I'll, I'll figure it out eventually. Uh, yeah, no doubt. And you know, Marshall, he is, he is taught, uh, probably, Maybe not hundreds, but he has taught a lot of people how to ledge fish and how to fish the Tennessee River. I mean, as guys who with experience go on that body, on the Tennessee River, on Gunnersville, Pickwick, he's right up there. I mean, he's got a tremendous, he's got a tremendous skill set. So it was not really, it was maybe a shock to see him win as big as he did because really nobody caught him at all, despite, you know, a bunch of other luminaries in the field. But he definitely, Mm -hmm. uh, he definitely deserved to win that one for sure. Um, oh, yeah. I guess we'll go sort of championship to championship. Uh, you made the Coast FLW Series championship uh, this year. Um, again, you mm-hmm. made it. You made it two years yeah. in a row now. Uh, and this year, you did really well in the tournament. Um, finished, I believe, 11th. Yeah, you finished 11th. Uh, caught him really good yeah. on day one. Uh, qualified for the Forestwood Cup there. I guess tell me about that tournament. Like, it seems like you really, it was a bit of a different time of year, but it seems like you took to the Tennessee River a lot better this time around. Yeah, uh, I didn't, it fished more my style. Uh, I mean, my favorite time to fish in the year has got to be from, I mean, wintertime fishing, early fall to late winter, whenever the fish are moving to the back of the coves. Um, but I keyed on more main lake stuff during that event. Um, I was to be completely honest with you all week i think i was maybe having four or five keep make four four to five keepers tops a day in a full 11 12 hour day of fishing from sun up till sundown um i really struggled big time i found a couple places uh well i told myself i was in a live and die by an alabama rig because that was the only way that i'd i know what an alabama rig catches if i was getting five bites on it They'd be five quality ones, and I'd be going to the final day. So, uh, practiced all week. Found a couple stretches of main lake uh, where the river channel swings uh, around these banks. So, the boat would be setting in about 35, 40 foot of water, but I'm fishing more. It was more of a steeper type bank with chunk rock, and there were even some pea gravel banks. But uh, the places I found, they had a bunch of shad on them. Uh, in practice, I got a couple bites there. They'd run through the A-rig, but I didn't hook them, didn't see what they were. So day one, I ran to the first spot, 
picked up my A-rig third cast called a four-pounder. I was like, all right, cool. So we fished for about another hour, didn't didn't get any more bites, and run over to the stretch where I got the most bites in practice. There was a boat sitting on it on one end, so I went to the opposite end, fished towards him, and I could tell by the direction his boat was facing, he, facing, he just fished it. So we go up behind him, and I have four or five fish run through the A-rig, but I couldn't hook them. So what I did was uh, I took my one of my swim baits, off of my Alabama rig, put it on a spinning rod, and went right back down that stretch and had five keepers. I think I had probably 16, 17 pounds in that one stretch, uh, just one pass through it. I mean, it was seemed like every cast I caught a fish that was a three, three and a half pound to four, four, four pound class fish. Um, and then my co-angler, he started throwing the swim bait, and he actually caught some fish on it also. Um, so from then on, I did away with the Alabama rig and I kept the spinning rod and a little three inch Kitex swim bait in my hand the rest of the day. I ran, I think three more banks. And by 11 o'clock I called two more times and I had, I think it was 18 something pounds. And at 11 o'clock I put all my rods in the rod box, locked it and never made a cast the rest of the day. Um, well until about one o'clock when I got, got down there by the ramp. Um, I was, after about one o'clock, I was pre-fishing for the next day. And, uh, that next day, man, it, I mean, it was a perfect morning. Uh, just the wind did not blow as hard as it did the first day. And that's what killed, killed my bite. Uh, the fish I caught the first day, they were all within the first six to seven foot of the bank. So they were in about that 12 to 13 foot right on that first initial drop off. And the shad were pushed up on the bank. And the first thing I noticed on day two, pulled up to the spot, and it was dead calm, not a lick of wind. And all the shad I seen, they were out suspended in that 35 to 40 foot of water, and the fish were underneath them. Um, now, I did catch fish out there in that 35 to 40 foot underneath the shad on that swim bait, but there were two pounders. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to catch a four-pound fish or bigger that second day of the tournament. But... Uh, at noon, I never had a, didn't have a keeper in the boat. And so, uh, ran back to that first spot and I cleared my mind and I told my co-angler, we're going to restart today all over again. Pulled up to that first spot, picked up my A-rig and caught a three and a half pounder. Like, all right. So after that, ended up catching four fish, scrounged out four little bitty keepers for, I think it was seven and a half pounds and, uh, missed the day three cut by one ounce. Uh, but I mean, I was very upset about that for sure. Um, but that's fishing cannot get upset about it. Uh, being 19 and finish 11th at the Costa championships and qualify for the Forestwood cup. I mean, I wouldn't have changed anything that happened in that week at Kentucky Lake. Everything worked out perfect. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about it now. So, uh, so you, I guess, You've got the cup coming up next year. Do you have uh, Do you have any experience on Wachita, or are you going to go and get yourself some experience on Wachita? Because I got to imagine it's not that far from where you're at in Oklahoma. Yeah, I think Wachita is three and a half hours, I believe. It may be a little further, but I actually do have a lot of ex- well, I wouldn't say a lot of experience on Wachita. I've fished a couple BFLs there, and I've went and fun fished there before. 
Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I mean, I'm very confident in going over there and being able to catch fish right now or come next August. Uh, the first BFL I fished over there was last year, I believe. Uh, Mark McWall, he called me one day and he said, Hey, we need another boater for the Archie division at here at watch talk. Okay. We go down there. I think the day before I got like four and a half, five hours of pre-fishing in and I ended up getting, I think 12th or 13th in that tournament. Um, but it really sets up to my kind of fishing. You can go out deep, catch fish in 30 plus foot of water. You can drop shot, you can fish brush piles. You can flip lay downs up in the river, fish flats. I mean, watch it all. You can do pretty much anything you want. Um, I've never been there in August though, but this year I really, I really excelled fishing out deep. Um, I won a lot of money fishing out deep this year than I have the previous years. So if that's the case on Wachita, fishing deep brush piles or fishing schooling fish, I will feel really confident doing that. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to the tournament. Um, I personally think I, I can compete with them. Um, I don't want to jinx myself, though, but I have a lot of confidence going into it. That's pretty much all i got to say. Cool. Well, that's great. Um, how about uh, How about – for the tour next year, because this year you had a really phenomenal season in the southwestern division of the Costas, uh, you know, to to finish eighth in that division when it seems like every year, like, at least two spots are, like, you know, you can book it that Castledine and Cecil and a couple yeah. other guys mm-hmm. are, like, just guaranteed in it. I mean, that's, that's a huge accomplishment, yeah. and, you know, they, they mm-hmm. fish pretty big fields, too, so... You know, yeah. obviously you had a great season there. You qualified for the tour. Um, was it a guarantee that as soon as you qualified for the tour, you were going to go fish it? Or did things just line up really well? Well, there was there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to fish it. Uh, I mean, there uh, it's hard to explain, really. Um, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to fish. Um but it took a while to get the to get financially stable enough, pick up several sponsors, and I'm actually still working on some more sponsors now. Um, but a lot of people came together and helped me out a lot, so got my deposits paid in time. And uh, but <clears throat> there, I didn't. I'm not one of them people where I get a lot of people are going to say, "Well, he's only 19 years old," or "I'll be 20 next year when I fish the tour." Or, He's only 20 years old. He's not going to be able to compete with Andy Morgan, guys like them. I mean, I feel confident in myself, especially after the last couple of years I've had. I've I've learned that I can, I have confidence that I can compete against guys like that. I mean, no, I haven't fished against Andy Morgan. It's going to be a whole new ball game, no doubt about it. But I mean, I think if I keep confidence in myself, then I'll be able to compete with them. I mean, it's just you and the fish. You don't have. I mean, you're not out there to beat a certain person. I mean, you are out there to figure out what the fish want at this time on that spot, and it's all about the luck of the draw, really. you got to be at the right spot at the right time. So, Makes sense. Um, did uh, did how well you did in the Costa Championship sort of, did that end up being a factor at all? Yeah, being able to finish 11th at the Costa Championship, that was, I mean, I never would have thought, in a million years that I would have got a top, I mean, a top 50 in a Costa Championships. Uh, 
there's people from all over the world that qualified to fish for it and being able to be 19 and finish 11th place out of however many people there was that's i mean i never would have thought thought of that in a million years so everything worked out i'm very excited looking forward to next year so all right oh looking at next year uh do you have a tour event that you kind of have your eye on where you feel like if things go right it might line up best for you or is it really you know sort of just the whole schedule you'll just sort of take whatever gets put in front of you um i will the only tournament next year that i will have experience on in the past will be kentucky lake um that's the only one that i've ever been on uh compared to the other lakes that we're going to i've never been to okeechobee harris chain or any of them up at st Clair. never done that um but the one I'm really looking forward to the most, I guess you can say, would be uh, Lake St. Clair up in Detroit. Um, I'm a fanatic when it comes to drop shot fishing and catching smallmouth and white line and finesse fishing. That's, I mean, that's kind of, kind of what I, what my strength is. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the one I'm, I'm most excited about. I guess you could say. Nice. Well, I'm certainly most excited about that one as well, but uh, less for actually being able to fish it than more for the uh, fact that there's going to be so, so, so many big smallmouths, which oh, yeah. that's my jam. <laughs> uh, hey, yeah, you too. How did you, obviously you're doing this at a really young age. You know, most people when they're, you know, 18, 19, 20, aren't fishing the FLW tour. They might not even be fishing BFLs, you know they're fishing in college they're fishing high school tournaments what uh how did you get into bass fishing and then how did you end up with such a quick start well i started my first tournament i ever fished was with my dad um i think i was four or five years old in that tournament and ever since then like i still remember that tournament till that till this day uh i mean ever since i fished that first tournament i knew that that is what I wanted to do. After that first tournament, I was watching the Bassmasters, the FLW Tour, everything that I could watch on TV every morning. And I always read the the Bass magazines and all of that. And whenever, I think I was 10 years old, we had to, we live on Grand Lake and our cove's probably 200 yards long by about 50 yards wide. It's just a little creek. And, uh, we have an enclosed dock there and my parents' rule was you can go out fishing in the boat. You have to wear a life jacket and trolling motor only can't start up a big motor. No, no exceptions. So every single day after school, we'd get home about four o'clock and I would put my school books down, go straight down to the dock, let the boat off the lift, put the trolling motor down and fish till it got too dark to see. And then I would go back in, do my homework, go to bed, and do it all over again the next day. Um, so I really learned a lot out of that one little cove on Grand Lake on what to do certain times of the year. And I taught myself a lot uh, in those years of doing that till I was about, well, I was 16 whenever my parents would finally let me leave the cove or whatever, and I got my driver's license. So, um but yeah, fishing that one cove for 
six, seven years straight and not being able to go anywhere else by myself. Um, I taught myself a lot on what to do. I was limited on what I could do. I think the deepest part of it was 15 foot. So I thought that was deep then. And then I got to venture out and ended up realizing that what I figured out in that cove pretty much works everywhere else too. I believe it was my sophomore year in high school. I uh, started fishing the BFLs. Or, no, I was 16. Yeah, I was 16 years old, started fishing the BFLs. My parents signed me up, and they caught a lot of flack for it. Um, people were saying that I wasn't going to make it. My parents are ruining my future. They're, uh, I need to go to college instead, and all of this. But they, they knew that I, uh, like that I, I had a talent at such a young age, so they signed me up for the BFLs, the Okie Division. And my first year, it was it was a a huge learning curve. I got to got to go to lakes I've never seen before, and it was just the Arkansas River, uh, Fort Gibson, Eufaula, just the lakes around here. And uh, I really did not do very good at all. I think. By the last tournament that rolled around on Grand, I think I was sitting in like 90th place in the points or whatever. And uh, that right before that last tournament, there was a post on Facebook made that it was, it, I mean, it got pretty bad. They were saying that I would never be good, that I would never succeed in fishing. I'm, I'm a terrible fisherman because I was sitting at this in the points. And so they were saying that to a 16-year-old in the first place. And then... So, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go prove these people wrong, put all that to the back of my head and didn't think about it. And I fished that two day BFL super tournament on grand in September and ended up getting fifth place. So I missed a couple fish that would have won it for me. Um, but I mean, after that day where I finished fifth out of all the best guys in Oklahoma, after being almost a hundredth place all year that I was like, Hey, maybe I can, maybe I can do this. And then I've just been getting better every single year. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've pretty much averaged a top 10 a year and then you had two this year. So yeah, that's uh that's pretty solid work regardless. I mean, there are plenty of guys who don't <laughs> really top 10 in a BFL, you know, in two years, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like fishing the, as many BFLs as you did? Because you've obviously you fished a whole bunch of them. Do you feel like that uh, was a really good way to prepare yourself, uh, despite never really fishing as a co-angler? Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have people ask me all the time, hey, what's the best way to start fishing tournaments? I tell them, if you have a boat, go fish the BFLs as a boater. It's a couple hundred bucks, and you don't have to travel too far. There's pretty much a division for each state, really. And... uh and if you don't have a boat, I mean, the BFL is 100% the way to go. Um, FLW, even though you don't have a boat and you don't have a lot of money, you can go fish out of the back of someone else's boat, and you can learn a whole lot of stuff. And I think me being 16, or whenever I was 16, <clears throat> and fishing as a boater, um, a lot of people did not like it, like the co-anglers I drew, but... By the end of the day, they got to know me. I wasn't just a kid out there that his parents had money and went and paid for everything and just pretty much a spoiled brat is what I'd call it. Um, 
a lot of people still think that about me, but I'm not. I work hard for everything I've got. Um, and, but anyways, back to the whole BFL deal. Um, the, the BFLs, <clears throat> if I were to tell anyone a certain series to fish for the first time, it would 100% be the BFLs. Um, you get to go fish new lakes. Um, you're not really fishing against, I mean, you're fishing against good fishermen. Do not get me wrong on that, but you can still compete against other people that are fishing it is what I'm trying to say. Um, and it, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of money to do it either. Um, most of the, I mean, I'm right there, live on Grand Lake. So most of the lakes, I think the furthest one is two and a half hours from my house, which is Eufaula or three hours. So it's, I mean, everything's local. Um, pretty much I have a, I pretty much consider a lot of people that are involved in the BFLs family of mine. Uh, got a lot of good friends. I've met a lot of people. Um, I remember fishing the BFLs for the first time, didn't know anyone there. And now I know pretty much every single person, get along with everybody. There's not one person there that I don't like. So, but yeah, the, the BFL is definitely the way to go for new people that are wanting to get into tournament fishing. And if they're wanting to make a career out of it, the BFL is definitely the place to start. Cool. Um, you know, I guess off the BFLs onto the tour next year, what are your, what are your goals, um, to sort of finish off here? My main goal is to get the rookie of the year. That's, I mean, that's the only goal I have because I already, I mean, yeah, it sounds like a long shot, but why not? I want to, I always set my goals really, really high. Um, and I get discouraged whenever I don't set my goals because I do set them so high, but it makes me fish harder in the long run. Um, but I mean, I've already qualified to fish the forest wood cup. I'm automatically going to that. So I don't necessarily have to worry about points at all. I mean, I can go out with the mindset to win every single event that I fish next year. And that's, I'm going to take it one tournament at a time. Um, and I'm going to put myself in the best position to win each event that I can. So. Cool. Well, it sounds, you know, every year it's a stiff crop of rookies, but it certainly sounds like, you know, you've competed against a lot of a pretty, a lot of tall odds before. Uh, obviously you've got the, if you just, if you don't look at the, your age and you look at just your accomplishments the last couple of years, you've certainly got the chops to hang out there, I would say. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how you do. Um, I guess before I let you go, uh, you, uh, I know you told me you guide on grand. Uh, I know you've got social media and stuff. Uh, if people want to find out more about you or look, or look you up or follow you, where should they do that? Okay, um, my Facebook, it's uh, Sheldon Collings Fishing, and then I also have an Instagram page, which is also Sheldon Collings Fishing, um, and then uh, then my guiding service. I guide uh, Grand Lake, Uchi, and then Spavanaugh Lake, um, and to contact me about that, my uh, you can call or text me at my cell number. It is uh, 918-801 three zero four zero or you can just message me on instagram or on my facebook page at sheldon collings fishing and we can set up a trip to go cool well uh sheldon thanks for coming on uh you did you did very well and uh you know congratulations on qualifying for the tour congratulations on qualifying for the cup and uh, best of luck next season
Well, I appreciate it, man. You have a good night. So our topic this week is, well, singular for one. Uh, but we're going to kind of talk about jerkbaits because we might as well talk about fishing and kind of tis the season, uh, at least if you're in the south, to throw a jerkbait or it's getting there. Um, and unfortunately, it's pretty much over up north, but we can still talk about it a little bit. For sure. Uh, do you want to kind of start us off with your jerkbaiting experience? Because, like, you don't do it a lot. I don't know. You're more, you've got more than northern jerkbait stuff dialed in. I will. And I will say, um, first off, if you do live down south, and before we get too into this, there is a blog by Randy Blockett on the website about winter jerkbait and water, like what to look for. So there is yeah. some stuff on the website kind of pertaining to this topic. Uh, if you're and curious. I mean, Randy knows what he's talking about on the jerkbait front. That's uh, true. For sure. The dude so, is a, a jerk baiter. Yeah. But, so there's definitely, I mean, we've got some good stuff. So you can like actually get expert opinions as opposed to Kyle and Jody opinions. Right. Uh, but yeah, I guess if you want me to kick it off, obviously my whole, um, you know, here in Minnesota, most, I would say 98% of bass I catch on a jerk bait are small mouths. And uh, the large mouths I do catch most of the time are, just accidental like they just happen to be living sort of where a smallmouth does and they eat the jerkbait too um it, it's weird growing up here because for the longest time our bass season wouldn't start until memorial day weekend like you couldn't go bass fishing until memorial day weekend except for uh pool two of the mississippi river um or uh well Pool two of the Mississippi River plus a couple other pools. So really the Mississippi was like the only place you could actually fish more or less year round. And uh, for a lot of people, that's not possible. And for a young Kyle, didn't have a boat, like, you know, what was I going to do? So um, like most people, a lot of my jerkbait fishing uh, revolved around sometimes when bass season would open, you could get into like a little bit of pre-spawn jerkbaiting. Uh, if you, if you were up North far enough, um, which would be sort of, you know, I guess probably the slowest I'd fish a jerk bait year round. But for the most part, uh, you and I talked about this a little before the podcast, but it's, it was like, you know, you get on a flat in the summer and you fire a jerk bait out there about as far as you can throw it and you, you hammer it back. Yeah. You rip your arm off trying to get the thing back to the boat and hope the small mouth tries to knock the rod out of your hand. Um, which is awesome. Now, in the last few years, I will say in Minnesota, the DNR has started, a, it's a catch and release season. And this probably sounds so weird for anyone that's listening that's not from the north. But uh, early in May, you can now actually go bass fishing. Uh, you just can't keep any, which is great because I don't really know a whole lot of people that keep bass. Uh, but that has since opened some windows for a lot of like really good pre-spawn jerkbait fishing for smallmouths. And um, I feel like I've actually kind of i i don't really look forward to it because uh i love catching smallmouths but when you go all winter you know like december january february march uh and and into april and you haven't really made a cast with a big rod right like I, i've been staring down an eight inch hole uh you know using little tiny ice rods and two pound test and then like right out the gate you got to go into jerkbait fishing and even though you're not fishing it that fast uh I mean, dang, man, that's a workout. Like, they got to design some sort of, like, training tool 
to help you uh, get into jerkbait fishing shape, you know, because you can't just take a northern boy out of ice fishing and just say, hey, here's this rod, throw this thing out there and start snapping it around because <laughs> that <laughs> it gets tiring real quick. Maybe I'm just out of shape. I don't know. Maybe it's both. I remember when I used to do that a bunch um, on Champlain, I used to, uh, this was when I was younger and I kind of have changed some of my tastes since then, but I would a lot of times do a, do it with a spinning rod and braid and a leader. Um, oh yeah. I don't know if that's yeah, okay. less work. It, it, it's sort of a little bit of a different action, obviously, right. but it's dynamite in the wind. Cause then you don't have to worry about oh, yeah. a backlash and a lot of times, like a lot of times in the South, you're more making shorter casts and you're more uh, covering targets. Whereas up North, you're more covering area. And a lot of times like the best days are windy days. So <laughs> right, right. it actually, it worked out pretty well. Um, but yeah, there's no, that's the thing. It's like, uh, it's probably some of the hardest work you can do, you know, to fish a jerk bait really fast like it's probably up there with like a magnum spoon or and even working a topwater really fast is probably a little easier than like really it, it is probably jerk bait. yeah for sure um i mean jerk baits are uh it, it's something i don't i don't fish a lot it really for me it's um like i said now it's been like that that pre-spawn smallmouth thing like a hundred percent if i go out um whether it's Mille Lacs, whether it's Woman, whether it's uh, any other smallmouth lakes up north, um, I got at least like two or three jerk baits tied on, like guaranteed. You know, like that's just what I know I can catch me a fish on. Plus some yeah. other things, but you know what I mean? Like that's the most uh, confident I am that I'm going to throw one and catch one. Now in the summertime, uh, I'll absolutely, I'll have a jerk bait rod. Like if it's not on the deck, it's in the rod locker. It's like somewhere nearby that I can get to it. Um, I don't lean on it quite as much. Uh, I still know I can catch some fish on it. But uh, the one thing I do want to say about jerkbait fishing is I have, I think, only caught like two fish on a Mega Bass Vision 110. I only owned one. And I shouldn't own, I mean, you shouldn't own any because you fish up north and you've got fish with teeth. And I, I don't know if we mentioned that before, but uh, it's funny because in doing our job uh, and you hear a lot of guys talk about jerkbait fishing, you know, like the 110 is kind of like what everyone compares everything else against. It's pretty much like the class of the, yeah. of the jerkbait. World. And here I'm like, yeah, no, dude, I don't even, I don't, I don't even own one. <laughs> it yeah. got, when I lost it, I got bit off by a muskie on the lax and it actually <laughs> followed it to the boat. And by the time I saw the muskie, I was like, oh God. I got to reel this thing away. So I start burning it as fast as I can. Well, that just triggered the muskie into like going into full beast mode. And the thing just came right up behind it. And I remember watching its mouth open up and just, you know, engulf that, that bait. And I was just kept reeling and the thing turned and swam off. I never even felt, uh, I never even got a stick him or nothing. Gosh, I was so mad, but Dude, I knew it was, was... going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I was throwing a 110 on a part of Champlain one spring with dad where literally dad not neither. I had not caught a pike there my entire life. Dad had not seen a pike within 10 miles of there in like 
30 years, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is an area of the lake where there should not, where, the, yeah, there were pike when he was growing up. There were not any then. Literally like five casts in, I hook a pike. <laughs> yeah. Now, miraculously, I got that fish in and like didn't lose the bait. You would think I would lose the bait, but it just, the the power of a $25 lure to draw in fish oh, with man. teeth is incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> They just sense the expense and the fluorocarbon, and they're like, let me go get it. <laughs> yeah, they can smell the money, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got to go bite that thing off right now. Yeah. No, it's uh, – yeah, you got to throw cheap stuff up north. Um, like uh, – so actually, speaking of that, though, but what what are your primary colors? Because, like, honestly, for oh, me okay. up north, I throw I throw perch-colored stuff a lot. Um, I mean, I throw – like, my dad throws – a more some minnow colored stuff but like one of my favorite ones is it's the pointer it's a it's a pointer and which used to be like an extremely expensive jerk bait and is now like half the price of a mega bass and it's like the baby ghost bluegill or something like that so it's like kind of got some clarity to it but it's got Mm -hmm. a lot nice little bars like a perch yeah i uh i i it's in it kind of varies. So I would actually say like summertime jerkbait, the Rapala X Rap is like my number one hands down go to jerkbait. Uh I think the action on them's pretty sweet. They're fairly I mean, they're not like super cheap, but they're fairly inexpensive. Um and I agree probably clown, uh some form of a perch pattern. And then my favorite one is called Hothead, and it's uh, like a yellow belly with an orange head and orange back. But that's probably like in a warm water jerkbait, Hothead is like, that'd be my first throw right out the box. Like any smallmouth lake I went to would be Hothead. Now, like say pre-spawn smallmouths, okay, go a little different. Uh, then I tend to favor, uh, a little more of those kind of like, like, uh, you know, like a tulipy kind of like a white, um, white with a little chartreuse, um, perchy color, um, like not, maybe not quite as flashy. I also love, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but you know, like, uh, a lot of companies make it. It's basically like a chartreuse belly, purple back, and like a white side or kind of like a clearish kind of side. Um, something along those lines is probably one of my other uh, favorites for like a cooler water smallmouth situation. But I still like a little flare. I like a little a little pop to it. Yeah, I I know. Uh... The winners throw like uh, that marigold color, I think it's called, or uh, it's like a like a, almost a blonde looking color. Yeah, a bunch. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of guys who like throwing like chartreuse or like chartreuse and blue. Uh, I, I maybe I need to just throw that stuff more. Um, while we're talking about up north, though, do you? You probably don't do it, but have you ever caught any like late fall largemouth on a jerkbait up there? 
Um, very rare. I have, uh, but again, it it you know like in the it's an accident. Yeah, and I I wouldn't say that I necessarily like probably my favorite thing to do in the fall for large mouse is flip like deeper coontail clumps with a jig. Mm-hmm. Um, so any fall large mouse that I've caught on a jerk bait, I might have. It's usually on lakes where there's um. Uh, maybe like milfoils a little more prevalent or some sort of vegetation and the small mouths relate to that. So you're kind of throwing it on like sharp drops with some grass on it, whether it's cabbage or, or something like that. And then you happen to catch a large mouth, but then like next cast, you catch a small mouth. And, um, yeah. So not, One, not uh, like specifically targeting them. I have caught a few doing this, but I haven't been home very much to do it. But dad has caught a lot of large mouth on a jerk bait late fall kind of maybe it's more of an October or like early November thing than it is a really late season thing. Cause it seems to me up North, like there's a point where it shifts over from where the small, from where the large mouth fishing in lakes that have both large mouth and small mouth, there's a point where it shifts over and the large mouth fishing is really good. And then it shifts. And then all of a sudden those large mouth get super hard to catch. But before that, like there's a lot of places, like a lot of weed lines and stuff. And these are like lakes that have alewives and things mm-hmm. in them. So I think those largemouth will tend to sort of set on some of those outside stuff and be more susceptible to a suspending bait. And you, you're not fishing it fast. You know, you fish at moderate speed and the water might be in the 50s or maybe high 40s. Probably it's more in the 50s or maybe okay. probably high 40s, honestly. And he's caught some pretty good fish on a suspending jerkbait then. And he throws the, that storm jerkbait. It's not a, you know, it's not, um, it's not like a storm, not a chug bug. What am I thinking of? Uh, no, you're like, you're thinking of like the, Oh, not a thunderstick. No, no. It's, it's probably, honestly, it's probably the, an Arashi bait now, but it's, it's like a more standard, it's a very pointery looking it's the Storm Twitch Stick. Twitch Stick, the newer one yeah. that came out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which I got them a couple of those a few years ago because they're super cheap. I mean, they're like a $6 jerk bait. And yeah, they actually come in a lot of really good looking colors. Uh, and he's caught quite a few fish on them. Uh, so that's, I would say, probably a decent northern option just from a pike standpoint, too. Oh, sure. Um, but that's something that I think that. I think there's a window for largemouth up north too, but obviously there's so much happening up north in the in the fall that it's hard to say. Well, I want to focus on throwing a jerk bait when you could be right, right. for largemouth when you could catch them other ways too, or when you could have a cool smallmouth bite going on or something like that. Oh, most um, definitely. But I I think that's something I'm kind of curious to fish a little bit more and kind of lean into and. I think that pre-spawn smallmouth bite is up north is definitely, I mean, that is pretty, can be pretty clutch on a jerk bait for sure. Uh, yeah, no doubt. That's probably like, like I said, the most I will throw a jerk bait all year is like a couple weeks of pre-spawn. And yeah. then after that, I kind of lose interest in it. Have you, ne- so you've never made it down to sort of the Ozarks or not even just necessarily the Ozarks, but like anywhere in the South for kind of that wintertime jerk bait style fishing? No, but I will say that in college, 
um, because a a lot of lakes in southern Iowa are actually pretty – I would almost – say they they don't really look like an ozark lake but they but you can fish them the they, same you can fish yeah they can you, fish the techniques the overlap well for sure and i had a, a few days in college where we'd slip out on kind of like a warmer winter day and uh i i have caught a few fish throwing a jerk bait down there but not uh, i never actually like no actual ozark lake or or anywhere yeah. south really for that matter southern Iowa's about it we kind of have talked about this before, but for me, it was a big learning experience because the first time I really learned how to throw a jerk bait and how to like really have success on it, but also how to fish it slow enough and sort of with enough patience and confidence was at Beaver Lake practicing for it, uh, practicing for that national championship we had there. And mm-hmm. I was with Jesse and he was, you know, he fished and it was, and he was catching them on it. And it's definitely it's really an acquired skill to fish a jerk bait slow enough. Cause you really have to, if you probably, if you don't think probably if you think you're fishing it slow enough, you probably need to slow down. Like, oh, okay. I would, it seems to me like granted, there are a lot of times where you will catch them when it's moving or moving a little bit better. But like I was watching some GoPro of myself a couple days ago and you know, you, I twitch my rod, twitch, twitch, twitch. And then it's like, you know, 1,001, 1,002. Hmm. And then you see the fish bite it. And that, just saying that right now, doesn't seem like a very long time. But in practice, it feels like, it can feel For like sure. forever if you're not used to doing it. If Especially if you're like you and I, and you're used to like ripping along a jerk bait. Like, right, right, or, right. You're you know, along. You're, or even if you're like reeling a swim bait along and it's something, you know, like you're used to always being in motion and mm-hmm. there's so much jerkbait fishing that is about that lack of motion, which is kind of cool. And I'm not, I wish I was like a super expert on like really, cause there are guys who are like, well, you know, if it's 48 degrees, degree water, you're going to need to go to this bait. You're going to need to change your hooks to do this. You know, you, you need all that stuff. And the only thing that I have, come to like is like i want my bait to sink a little bit or suspend like i don't want it to float honestly i kind of i'm okay with it if it sinks a little bit because like that lets you fish a regular size jerk bait not a dd and like get it a little bit deeper yep through the retrieve but i don't know i i haven't like super dialed in on that front yet i will say i have a whole box of jerk baits and if all goes well i will have probably literally the same jerk bait tied on um all winter uh, <laughs> it's a it's a mega bass it's in um and i've honestly i've taken i've probably i've probably had that bait for like two or three years now i've caught like you know multiple fish over six pounds on it like not that i've been paying it off in tournaments but like i feel like it's paid for itself if that makes sense yeah. yep you know like i think that i think that if you get I, I do think that for those baits, you know, if you get the right color, something you've got confidence in, something that works on your waters, like, you know, it's not like you need a lot of them because you're probably not going to be breaking them off. You shouldn't be breaking them off. You know, if you're doing it right, you should, yeah, uh, yeah. you should be pretty, pretty adept at 
getting them in, getting, you know, getting the fish in, get stuff like that, not losing your bait, um, which is obviously. So I, I think, I guess what I'm saying is like, it's a big outlay. And if you don't want to spend it, I understand, but I think it's a slightly better deal than like, if you were buying like a $20 crankbait or like even a $15 crankbait, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. One thing I do, one thing on the mega bass on the jerk bait. So I do kind of like, I like the hooks on it, but I think a little bit stouter hook isn't a bad thing. Like when I change my hooks on it, like I usually fish the hooks that it comes with and, but then they'll, you know, one will break or something like that. Like you'll pull it, you'll break one, like getting it out of a catfish or, which I did on the weekend or something, <laughs> something will happen. And then a lot of times when I put a hook on, I don't go to like a super stout hook, but I go to a little bit stouter hook, you know, still like, a, sure. number, still like a, a number four, but it's just a little bit stouter hook than what it comes with. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I, to me, if it helps us sink a little more, that's honestly, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I echo that for sure because I, um, uh, I throw probably oh, dude, up north. I would put bigger hooks on like right out of the box almost, you know? Yeah. And I, I was going to say, I throw the shadow wraps a lot, the wrap with shadow wrap, um, like for my mm-hmm. pre-spawn jerk bait, but the hooks that come on them are so dang thin. They're sticky sharp. I mean, like if a smallmouth even tries to sniff the dang thing, you're probably going to hook it. But the other problem is, it, especially like if you're not, if you don't have the right setup for jerkbait fishing or, um, you've never really caught a jerkbait fish or like, especially smallmouth that is sort of sluggish because it's cold. Yeah. But also really mad. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can ruin a lot of hooks in a heartbeat. So I definitely, uh, I'm with you. I pretty much all of them. I swap the hooks out right away. Also, while we're on the sort of topic of swapping things out, I'm a huge proponent of swapping the back treble, uh, at certain times on a jerk bait to a feathered treble in like the pre-spawn for small mouths. Like in the summer, like I said, I throw an, I throw an X wrap a lot and that has a feathered treble hook on it. But I have seen a lot of situations where I am crushing fish with, as opposed to the guy, the other guy I'm fishing with. And it doesn't matter if I'm in the back of the boat or the front of the boat, but you'll get a lot of fish. It seems like there's this weird window and I've seen it on Malax like, over the last several years there's a window where like the jerkbait bite will be real good. And then like right before they pull up and they're thinking about getting on beds, they'll follow a jerkbait, but they don't really want to eat it. And it could be the same, you know, it doesn't matter what color you're throwing, but you put that little feathered treble on a back and now they're keying in on that, um, which you would think then like a hair jig would work well. Like maybe they're just keying on some bugs or something weird. Uh, not the case. And I have also noticed that the last four years, but the jerkbait, you can draw them in, and then you'll get them to commit on that little feathered treble, but they eat it pretty good. Um, so, like, you know, like I said, when I go out fishing, I got three jerk baits tied on in the spring. One of them has a feathered treble hook on it, just in case um, the regular jerk bait's not getting bit, or it seems like maybe I'm, you know, hooking them on just one of the back treble hooks on that jerk bait. Then I'll start throwing the feathered one just to see if if I can maybe get a few more bites that way, or if I'll just hook them a little better. Yeah, I honestly, I'm not a huge feathered treble guy. Oh, I love it. I am very willing to be convinced. Let's put it that uh, way. 
honestly, it was it was like five years ago when I really, really kind of like got that dialed in. And uh, I, I don't know. I probably have told this story before on the podcast, but we'll tell it again because it's sort of relevant or uh, it sort of makes sense. But I'm standing on the front of the boat, right? Gin clear day on Mille Lacs. I'm out off the edge of Garrison Reef, bombing a jerk bait around. I'm just kind of looking around. It was like borderline. I'd heard a few guys say they saw a few fish on beds. And the water was like a hair cold yet. But, I mean, smallmouths do weird things. Sometimes they just say, you know what? We're doing it, boys. It's north. It's time to get making babies. So I'm kind of looking for beds, right, as I'm easing across this flat. And I remember looking out at my jerkbait. It was like probably 15 feet from the boat. And it was sitting dead still. And I hadn't twitched it for like probably five seconds. And I'm staring around looking at these boulders. And I look back and there's like a four-pound smallmouth sitting right under the thing. And I was like, oh, hello. So I gave her a little twitch. Smallmouth just kind of like swam up to it. And it shied away. And I gave her another twitch. And she kind of came back around. And she kind of veered off. I'm like, what in the what type? worked at the boat she kind of just sulked away down by a rock threw a drop shot down in it didn't catch it right swims off throw the jerk bait out fishing along the flat again i'm like maybe i need to speed it up a little more to try to you know so now i'm going through all these things in my head and i have another one basically maybe 10 casts later do almost the same thing and i'm watching this thing just very sluggishly chase the back of the jerk bait so i'm like screw it i drop that bait pick up another jerk bait same color but with a feathered treble hook okay Throw it out there, twitch, 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 let it sit there a little bit, give it a twitch, let it sit there a little bit, give it another twitch, and the rod about gets yanked out of my hand. And I'm like, what in the what? I set the hook, caught a nice smallmouth, get in the boat. I'm like, dude, sweet. It had the back treble choked. And so as I'm going through the rest of the day, I started noticing I caught a few fish that I could see chasing that jerkbait. But as I would twitch it and like the tail of the jerkbait would swing one way and that feather would just kind of uh, almost float through the water as it settled down into its paws. Mm-hmm. You would see that smallmouth follow that feather. Like he wasn't looking at the jerk bait. He was looking at the feather and they would come up ever so subtly and just kind of grab onto the back of it and swim off with it. Hmm. And these were fish have... that like, do what? Go ahead. Go. Sorry. Fire away. Oh, I was going to say, these were just fish that all day were kind of sluggish and it wasn't, you know, it was like middle of the day. It was the warmest part. It wasn't like right away in the morning or nothing. And, uh, I lit them on fire, dude. The only reason I was catching them was cause I had trouble. Uh, my buddy that was fishing with me, uh, I think he caught two on a regular jerk bait. And then I finally told him where my box of trebles were. He put a feathered treble on different color jerk bait, started catching fish hand over fist. It was like, we could do no wrong. So that being said, are there feather treble preferences? Like, does the color of the feather matter, or is it just the presence, do you think? I, I think it's more the presence. I have I have tinkered around with that because I, I've, um, I've had a buddy tie a few um, uh, treble hooks for me, you know, with, like, uh, with uh, black hair, with red hair, with... Uh, that being said, outlet. like it's super easy to tie a feather on a treble. Like anyone, oh no doubt, no any, doubt. If you even if you don't have like a fly tying vice and a bobbin and thread, like you can do, you can one hundred percent. You can buy them, obviously, but you can also just take your favorite hook and pop some on there and do it. It's fast. It's easy. You know. Uh, but I tend to favor 
Um, and I don't, I, I'm not super sure that there's a huge difference. I like white or like, um, like silvery and with like a, maybe a little chartreuse in there, mm-hmm. um, are pretty sweet. I know, uh, owner makes one, um, that I have a couple. It's like, it's a, some, it's got a little bit of chartreuse in it and then it's like white feathers. Um, I have a couple of those. Uh, a few packs of those on on some jerk baits. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't say color is necessarily the deal. I think it's just that little extra. And I thought for a while because, um, like I said, I've seen this happen year in and year out. Where like you could throw it probably all the time and catch fish on it, but there it seems like there's a window where you'll hit this feather kind of becomes the deal. And in my head, I'm thinking, well. It's got to be bug related because uh, Malax, for example, has a lot of bug hatches, mm-hmm. a lot of mayflies. And so you're like, well, I should be able to crush them on this hair jig. And there are times where the hair jig bite just, it's not really there. It's like they still want a jerk bait, but that little extra bit of a feather on there is um, is kind of the deal. And I I mean, last year I remember throwing a jerk bait a few times um, and watching a couple, like I caught a five and a half pounder, like, almost at the boat because I watched it following the jerk bait. I was fishing a little too fast. I think is what it was, but when I got to the boat is the same thing. Like as you twitch it, you watch that treble hook kind of float one way and that smallmouth just came up and just slurped it in only that treble. Like it had, it wanted nothing to do with the rest of the jerk bait, just that treble hook and boom, you hook up and <laughs> good to go. I mean, maybe it helps you catch another couple of smallmouths. That's about the most I know on, on tweaking a jerkbait, but I'm hands down convinced that if you're anywhere around a smallmouth, you might want to have a feathered treble, uh, on the back, especially in that pre-spawn time. I think it, it probably can't hurt all the time because they're, you know, they're just curious creatures, right? Like what's to say a little bit of a flashy feathery thing on the back is going to hurt you. But, um, I don't know, man, I, it is one of those things that I have seen it work. And now, now I'm the proud owner. I actually have my own little treble hook box, my own little feather box treble hook box. Yeah, that I keep ready to go. So, I may have missed this when you were talking, but do you? Is it a is it a matter of you would miss the bites, like the fish wouldn't ever bite it, or you would miss them without the treble? Does that make sense? Uh, like it was, you go from fishing it in zero bites to right fishing it, and all of a sudden they're choking it, or do you go from fishing it and slaps and misses and follows to all of a sudden they get it. Uh, honestly, it's a combo of both. I would say the majority of the time is it's a matter of zero bites, but follows. Cause you know how, even when those fish, uh, it's springtime smallmouths, even if they're sluggish, they'll still like track something for a ways. Like, yeah, I'm convinced a lot of these fish at the very end of the cast, like two jerks in are probably following the bait and they just come all the way back to the boat. And then they just, they never hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, that situation seems to play out a little more, though I have seen it where um Swanoff you know, love following stuff. Gosh, they do, man. Like, why oh, are you wasting dude. so much energy? It's like just like, come just, on, just eat it, buddy. Yeah. What are you doing, dude. man? Yeah. I'm they're a pain in the butt. But, I'm I'm um, with you. You get you get a lot more I feel like you get a lot more smallmouth follows than largemouth follows, just in general. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um actually this is a total side note but I want to hit it while I'm talking about it. So I had the weird, the coolest largemouth follow of my life yesterday or well, Ooh. Saturday, no Sunday. So I was 
fishing like this sort of steep bluff wall, and I crank my jig back up from the bottom, and I fire it back out. And then I look down. I probably should have looked down earlier. Look down. Of course, I'm wearing my Costa sunglasses. So that obviously was key, even though it was flat calm and the sun was up and it, <laughs> right, I could right. see down like 10 feet. Uh, but anyway, I wear my Costa sunglasses. Look down. Well, there's like a four pounder just sitting there. What? This dude, like he followed my jig up. And then when I got it out of the water, he was like, well, I guess I better hang out for a second. And so I finally <laughs> looked down to him. I crank my jig back as fast as I can. Uh, and I get it kind of close to kind of close ish to the boat and he starts going back down. And so I just kind of click my, you know, I just basically hold the jig and like, let it kind of fall down. And I see him like kind of go off to the left a little bit toward my jig. And all of a sudden, boop, he, he bites it. And I start to hook and get him in. Like it was the luckiest fish ever because like he should have just left and I never should have seen him. Or if I did see him, I should have been like halfway through reeling my jig and he just took off, you know, but instead he kind of hung around right. a little bit. <laughs> anyway, that's like the most small mouth, large mouth, right? Um, Cause like small mouth do that all the time where they'll come up and they'll follow and then they'll like hang around the boat. Or like if you drop a tube down or something, they'll oh, yeah, chomp man. onto it. Like, th- and that guy, I mean, it was a large mouth. It was not a small mouth, <laughs> but lo and behold, <laughs> You can actually see the video on my Instagram, but it's kind of hard to gain an appreciation for it without like seeing the fish as well is the problem. Like it would be a lot cooler if you could see the fish, Uh, but you can't really do that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think where we exactly were. Uh, No, we're 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 just talking about. Yeah. How about uh, like jerkbait gear? What's your rod reel line? Um, for your up north stuff. Well, so I, uh, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not too hardcore into it. Um, I did, I, right now I'm using, it's a, it's a 13 jerkbait rod. Um, so it's like a six, seven medium. Uh, the other, the rod I was using for a long time was actually a Falcon lowrider. Uh, it was a weightless worm rod. It was, uh, I believe it was the same thing, six, seven. It was a medium heavy, but it was like a mod. Uh, so I had like a decent backbone, but it was real whippy. Um, mm-hmm. I really, I really like that rod a lot, but that, that 13 rods, um, not terrible. Uh, I throw it on a, I just got a BB one, uh, with 10 or 12 pound fluorocarbon. It kind of depends if I'm throwing, um, I I feel like a lot of stuff I fish is like uh, on Malax, especially you'll have uh, like a lot of rock edges in like 10 to 12 feet. So I'll throw a deeper dive and jerk bait. But in that 10 to 12 feet, there's boulders that come up like five feet off the bottom. So your jerk bait bounces off a lot of that stuff. Um, so I go 12 more in those situations when I know like my line's actually going to be contacting zebra mussels and stuff. Um, just so I have a little extra, I don't know, I guess makes me feel a little better if I do hook up with one after I'd been slamming into rocks. Yeah. 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 I, um, I've started throwing 12 pound fluoro this year. I used to always throw yeah. 10 and I got to say, yeah. I really like 12. It just, it gives you a little extra bit of confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure. also it handles a little bit better than 10. Uh, it really does. And in cold wet, you know, in cold weather too, like, 
it's nice to have uh, just a little bit thicker line because more stuff can happen. Your hands hurt. Your hands are not quite as sensitive that time of year. You know, I I think that it's a good. I I, I like it a lot. I, I like twelve a lot. Yeah, I would say twelve is uh, probably now more my go-to than than ten. But I used to be like for a while i actually had like i'd have one with 10 and one with 12 uh last year i just rocked the one rod with 12 pound pretty much yeah or I, uh, rod with 12 pound, i should say i think i think that makes sense have you ever thrown mono on a jerk bait or not so much i have not no yeah i don't really throw mono for anything i know some guys you know they have obviously they want things to float very nicely and stuff like that and yeah i still throw it for top waters um occasionally uh, uh actually pretty much the only time i throw it is uh whenever i do make my trek on my canadian trip with my dad and his buddies and some of my buddies uh the one rod i bring for small mouse on top is a rod with mono on it 17 pound mono all right fair enough uh i use i use like a six to one reel uh I have been using I've been using usually one of two different bait casters and they're both uh they're both Shimano's. One's a one's a old Kumara. They don't make them anymore. It's a 72 medium power fast action and one is a 7 foot Crucial, which they also I think they still make them. I think I think you can still get a Shimano Crucial, but this is like one of the earlier generation models. Like it's a 5 year 5 or 6 year old rod. And it's just a seven foot medium power fast action. And what I like about both of those rods is if you don't know, or if you haven't used a Shimano rod, they tend to run a little bit lighter power than yeah. you would actually think. Like if you pick up a medium power Shimano and a medium power lose, the Shimano is going to be a floppier, softer rod generally. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's actually, you know, it's not, it's a little bit scaled down from that. And, they, I really enjoy fishing both of those rods. Uh, my dad actually for smallmouth that, you know, usually in the spring, like on Champlain or something like that, or even anytime he throws a jerkbait, really, he's got a seven, six Kumara. That's got, it's a medium light power, fast action, or maybe it's medium power, fast action. The thing is an absolute noodle, uh, but he swears by it. You know, he loves, he loves it because he does, he says he doesn't lose fish. And honestly, I used to fish a lot of times for smallmouth up north. If, if I wasn't fishing the jerk bait all day and I could just jerk on it for like, you know, t- 10 or 20 minutes and then I would put it down or pick up something else. I was throwing an eight foot Dobbins 804 cranking rod. So it's Dang. got like a ton of flex, uh, Cause it's a four power rod, which is like sort of a medium or medium heavy kind of rod. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a crankbait rod that's eight feet long. So it's got a lot of flex in it. And you know, that was a good, that rod too had a ton of bow. Like you wouldn't, I would almost don't think you can go too light with a uh, jerk bait rod because all yeah, you're doing yeah, usually is adding is making, is just making it so yeah, you're not horsing the fish, but you're giving yourself a little better chance to get them in. Um, mm-hmm. 
but at the same time, I mean, I know I like you use using the short rod. I prefer longer rods, like just in general. Um, like if a lot of people like a seven foot rod, I would probably like a seven, four rod better if that makes sense. <laughs> but so like my lengths might be a little bit off, but, and like, don't get me, don't get me wrong. That eight foot rod is a pain in the neck and I don't really do it anymore, but it's kind of an example of where if you, I, I don't think going sort of softer is a bad thing. No, no, um, definitely not. I, I, yeah, for sure. Air on the, on the limpier side, especially I if guess, you're like, you're looking at your rods and you don't want to buy a jerkbait rod, but you're like, doggone it. I'm going to try catching me some jerkbait fish. Whatever yeah, rods just, got a little more give to her. Yeah. yeah. Go with it. Uh, there's one that I'm, su- I'm looking at right now. Uh, Cause I was just like, well, I wonder if Shimano still makes these. They don't, they make a, the, I don't know if you, have you ever used any of the Zodius rods from Shimano? I have not. I've used their seven six, uh, cranking, uh, cranking rod. It's a medium heavy glass. They put like they infuse the blank with gla- fiberglass or whatever, so it's got that moderate soft action. Anyway, mm-hmm. Alex Davis says it's like the best six XD rod in the world. I kind of agree. Like it's an. I have been fishing that thing for a while this summer, um, and honestly, I don't think. Uh, I don't know if I've lost a fish doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> what I'm saying is they've got a six, uh, they've got a seven foot medium power, moderate fast action that it's like a $200 rod. So it's a little, it's, you know, up there, I guess, but I'm sure. extremely interested in that because I, from that, at least from that one Zodius glass experience I have, I think that this one could be pretty clutch too. Oh, okay. I don't know why I'm bringing that up other than I was just kind of poking around Tackle Warehouse because, you know, that's what I do. Hey, I hear you. Um, you think we have any other, uh, any other jerkbait things you can think about or do you think we're about tapped out on this subject? Um, I mean... Uh... We've talked about it. We've talked about jerkbaits now for about, like, let's say for like 42, 43 minutes. Which is pretty impressive, I gotta say. That is pretty impressive. I, I, I mean, I, I'm down either way. I, I love talking fishing, so I could, yeah. I could sit here and talk fishing all day. But uh, how? I don't know if the people listening could also sit and listen to fishing all day. Yeah, I would hope they this? could. How about this? If you made it this far and you still have jerkbait related questions for us, uh, podcast at flwfishing.com, um, and ah. we'll do we'll do more segment. We'll do more Kyle and Jody deep dives into topics that we are not as good at as certain pro as most, if not all pro anglers, but that we're willing to talk about to a great degree. Hey, sometimes it's okay to hear from people that, uh, you know, fish a fair amount, but, uh, you know, haven't won any big derbies or nothing, but still, you know, well, fairly successful, you know, so like, uh, Marcus Sikora, right. Maybe one of the top like five jerkbait fishermen in the country in the Ozarks, sure. right? Probably doesn't really have much of a take on feathered trebles for smallmouth. No. That's just my yeah, guess. You know, I think you learned something here today, folks. Boom, mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Uh and if not, well, you're lost. Uh <laughs> yep, sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, we will 
Well, Kyle and Kurt will be back next week. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Jody Blanco, Kyle on Instagram at Kyle Lumber. Um, FLW is FLW fishing pretty much everywhere. FLW official on Snapchat. Uh, we are slowly, well, actually we're ramping up for 2018 pretty quickly to be honest, but yep, we're not going to start seeing results from that for the next few weeks, I would say, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's coming and it's going to be pretty it lit is. when it does. Yeah. And it will be. So I guess uh, that being said, Kyle, uh, pleasure talking with you. As always, uh, have fun, whatever you're doing next week in Florida or where, wherever you are. Oh, have yeah. fun. I will. <laughs> uh, I get um, I get some time on the water with JT Kenny. I get some time on the water with John Cox. Uh, basically guaranteed fun. Hammers. Hammers all around. Yep. Well, um, I guess you enjoy that. I am going to try to get a little bit of work done, and then I'm going to go shoot some ducks for the next few days. So, everyone else, you'll probably hear about that next week. If you don't like hunting, that's too bad. See you. <laughs>